speaking of the search for the psychic being, the mother observes that one must have the patience as of someone who is in search of undiscovered continents. If we try to put it in modern context, we may say that the journey to the psychic being is almost like taking the journey from the other side of the globe to visit Mati Mandir. Because of the new consciousness, the journey has become little easier. Jets are available and the process can be facilitated a lot more. What would have taken few lifetimes because of the general acceleration in the Earth's yoga, it's possible to do it in far lesser time. <clears throat> this is not just my conviction, but I, 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 I do feel it's, it's a fact of experience that the new consciousness facilitates this journey a lot, lot more now. So, when we start from the other end of the globe to visit Mati Mandir, we start with some idea. Probably somebody has seen or told us something about it. We have no idea, except a very vague feeling or hint that we should go. But this wishful thinking is not enough. We have to pack the bags and do the preparation. A lot of things, the attitudes we speak about, humility, cheerfulness, goodwill, devotion, all these are things we must pack in the bag. And two things which are very useful to put in our bags when we undertake this journey, the mother has spoken of, our enthusiasm and gratitude. We should not forget to pack it because enthusiasm sustains us through the journey. Many times the journey has to pass through desert and morass. There are the long nights and the few dawns, few and far between are the dawns. And often from one dawn to another, one has to cross through the thick all black of night. Not always, but well, that is part of the journey. Sometimes the journey can get dull and boring, even dangerous. Sometimes it can distract us to other cities, other places than what we are destined to come. So, enthusiasm carries us a very long way. Of course, the mother speaks of the difference between vital enthusiasm and the genuine enthusiasm which comes from the heart of the seeker, the true seeker. And the second thing is gratitude. <clears throat> if gratitude is not there, then we begin to cry and complain at the first, first grace. When grace comes to us, Mother says there are two types of grace, two aspects of grace. One which brings peace and succor and humanity likes that. We still associate grace with that intervention of the divine which brings us peace, brings us succor when we are in need, when we are in distress. Something intervenes and pulls us out of that difficulty. But then the mother says there is another aspect of grace and it comes to make us progress. The Divine not only gives, that is his old business, the Divine also snatches, that is also his old business. Only problem is that we don't recognize the Divine when he snatches. It's easier to recognize him when he gives and sometimes very difficult to say which Divine is better. That aspect which snatches is often more full of love more intense. He wants us exclusively for himself, but we don't like it because we cling to things which give us only transient satisfactions and after a few momentary thrills they leave us high and dry on the shores of nowhere. So this aspect of the divine which snatches is also grace. Heaven's wiser love rejects the mortal's prayer. But if gratitude is there, then we see Him in all act. We are happy and grateful just because the Divine exists. 
that itself is enough reason to be grateful for. Imagine a world if there was no divine, if there is no divine at its bedrock, if it's a pure chemical accident, what kind of world it would be, what would we do or what should we do in such a world, all our knowledge will come to naught, all our convictions amount to nothing but genetic babbles. But just to know, to have faith, to come to this point where we can feel the faith that divine exists, one has to be grateful enough. Then to be called to the path, doubly grateful, and to know that we are not only called to walk alone, but He walks with us by our side, carries us through all the trials and tribulations of the journey. This is the triple gratitude and the triple faith that we must carry. So we must make sure that we have packed enough gratitude and enthusiasm. Then we have to apply for, we have to buy the ticket. All our past accumulated things purchase the ticket, but ticket purchase is not enough. We must have the visa. And the visa officers are very strict. You can't force our entry into the psychic being like this. The visa officers are Messrs. Doubt and Company, Skepticism, Distrust and Fear. These are the three sentinels that guard the journey. Fear, the moment one sets the foot on the path or even before it, are you doing the right thing? What if you lose your balance? Millions of people in the world are doing much saner things. Are they fools? Nobody is searching for psychic being inside. They are all very happy and contented with their life. You are the crazy who is trying to find something which is non-existent. All these Nobel laureates, these great mathematicians and logicians, are they fools? So fear comes. What happens if I strive at the end find nothing? So many kinds of fear comes. And mother has one beautiful answer to it. Because there are so many ways one can tackle it. She says, fear of what? Fear of coming out of the rut? Everybody is born, lives and dies. Fear of leading life differently? Fear of freedom? Fear of freedom from slavery to ignorance? One can say to oneself, if this world has nothing like the divine at the bedrock, then in any case, how does it matter? If it's a chemical accident, well, instead of wasting my life, which anyways is a waste, in other pursuits, I wasted in the pursuit of the divine. At least I did a sensible thing. So, and if there is a divine, and if one doesn't move that way, one has lost an entire life only on skimming on the surface. There are so many ways one can tackle this. Then, she speaks of skepticism. Shurabindu, in fact, is an aphorism on which the mother has commented. Distrust. Distrust of oneself, distrust of the divine. All these come. There are wise people who tell us so many things. Is it really true? Is it real? And skepticism, doubt. Is it really? Mother and Shurabindu have experience, there are people who have experience. Are you sure they are not crazy people? Maybe they are crazy. After all, Dr. Ramachandran has written a very nice book, The Phantom Brain. It's all happening here. It's not something very deep inside, it's just an illusion of the brain. <laughs> all kinds of things can come up. And one has to satisfy the visa officer. If one carries an inborn faith, one is very fortunate. If not, then one uses all kinds of intellectual processes and arguments. It takes long because these are very, very, very tricky people. Shurabindo has answered every possible doubt and fear that can arise in human mind because he wants us to be ready for the entry. So through whatever means, once we satisfy them, we have the visa entry. Otherwise, we keep roaming at the surface. 
Shubhinda writes in one of the letters, I have begun to write about doubt. But I am not sure if I were to write 60 pages or 600 or even 6000 pages, I can satisfy someone who does not want to believe. So one can spend a whole lifetime arguing and counter-arguing. But the only way, the only proof of the pudding is eating it. One should take the journey and see what lies at the end of the road or in its middle or at the beginning. That's the only way. Actually, it's logical. How can one standing on the surface of the sea what lies in the depths? One can doubt, argue, all kinds of things. Somebody has said nothing is there. Somebody says there is something. Well, I must go in and see. So, it's logical that one must undertake the journey if one has the call. Visa is given, bags are ready, the aircraft, one must sit. This aircraft is fueled by faith. One must carry sufficient amount of faith. Because if it is just a faith which is dependent on outer circumstances, if it's a faith which is more of the form of mental belief based on certain arguments and logic and not the deep conviction of the soul, if it's a faith dependent on proofs of an outer kind, then very often the flight will take off, but instead of reaching Chennai via Chennai to Pondicherry and to Matri Mandir, it will land up in Dubai. And we'll probably do some shopping and get back. That this is good. <laughs> this is where we are supposed to come. Who oh, will go there in silence chamber? Here is, you see, the mall, the market, the glitter. This is divine. If there is a divine, here is a divine who can give everything. So one can actually, you know, one needs really a deep faith, enough faith to carry through the journey. And the engine which carries us through all things is love and devotion. There is a very beautiful letter of Shirdinda, a short letter. A veil behind the heart and a lid above the mind concealed from us the divine. Love and devotion rend away in the quietude of the mind. In the quietude, the lid of the mind thins and vanishes. So quietude, love, devotion are the elements, purifications. They are the ones which propel the journey. And then the left wing and the right wing. The left wing is renunciation and the right wing is concentration. Two things which balance the yoga forward. Both are indispensable to each other. One cannot concentrate if one is still attached to the things of the world. They are two sides of one movement. If one is still attached to things of the world, to the ordinary life, it's better perhaps to lead them and get the experience and understand by hard fact, look, this is not what can satisfy my thirst. And on the other side, concentration. Unless one is concentrated on the eternal, one never quite has the courage and the will to renounce because one is all the time concentrated on thousand things except the one thing needful. In this yoga, renunciation is not an external renunciation. And this external renunciation, we meet the world existence. We don't shrink from it. We are not afraid of it. But we meet it as a distorted image of a deeper truth, a deeper reality, the Divine, who is trying to express Himself through this distorted appearance. That is how we embrace the world. We don't wear an outer garb, not only the outer garb of, uh, of a certain mark, but there is another garb which human beings wear. Sri speaks of it. He says, very often, very subconsciously, unconsciously, we wear the garb in our personality, outer personality, which will satisfy others. Very unconsciously we do it. If we have taken to a spiritual life, we must look like saints. We must behave like one. Whether we are one or not is not important. We must look like one. Looking is enough. That's what we believe. But this yoga is very dangerous. 
because all shows and shams not only are inconsistent but they are torn sometimes mercilessly and we are left nude and bare to confront the reality of our being our nature so no garbs no personas no masks that will look very nice and goody goody in front of others nothing wrong in being good it's good to be good but it's good to be naturally good and not look good so that others feel very good about us that's not mother would put it very beautifully we are not here to please others to get praise from others we are here to please the divine and equally this renunciation should not be only of the ordinary view the ordinary consciousness the ordinary outlook towards things this what is to be renounced the ego and desire but even the desire for salvation for personal salvation which is regarded as something very spiritual one should not be attached not only to the world as it is but should not be attached even to one's own personal what's happening inside sometimes one keeps monitoring how much i have progressed what is my report card and the mother would tell us that is another kind of ego which is playing very subtly it is not our look out to see how much we have progressed it's not our job <laughs> it's a difficult insights it's his work and let him do it there is a story i remember somebody came to delhi ashram to give a talk and he was a sanyasi belonging to the naga order who remained nude and bare so he would not they would not even step on the ground so as he moved the disciples were putting one pieces of carpet made of natural fiber and he would step then another and he would step he came all nude give a talk so at the end of the talk taradi's father he had his sense of humor sparkling sense of humor <laughs> with his characteristic humor he replied he observed he said we are you know what a nice talk you gave and we are so impressed all this but uh, i can see you are so detached from everything and you are so attached even to your detachment so sometimes we can be very attached to our detachment that we will not do you know the mind can work in so many ways and we get so attached to our detachment so in this yoga there are the detachment is inner often sometimes the divine gives us experience to get rid of the rigid ideas in our mind there is an interesting story of how ravindra ji when he first came to the ashram and he was a man who would not even touch eggs forget about eating them and the work he was given was to give eggs egg distribution so we don't realize we are attached to our persona sometimes not even for others we are attached to the structures of the ego to the way nature has formed us and we instinctively believe that that is the best thing that is the only thing that's the only way to be divine somebody who wears jeans is not divine we have these kinds of ideas so we have to get rid of all these structures and be open and wide to receive the divine the way he reveals himself in myriad ways in this world so this is what we should really practice in terms of renunciation renunciation from all these rigid ego structures even ideas about what is spiritual and what is not spiritual there are people who believe that if somebody is eating meat he is not spiritual these are all ideas which have their temporary utility in a particular context but to make of them as absolute and rigid rules to be invariably applied to all at all points of time would actually become counterproductive to truth itself so one should be very plastic very very open very wide the divine destroys the whole universe and swallows it as if one is drinking a cup of wine so we should approach him with that vastness so this is the kind of renunciation equally the concentration shubhendu says while in traditional ways one is given the practice of a 
exclusive concentration. And it has its utility. Even in this yoga, Shardana says that we should take out some moments and sit for an exclusive concentration. Maybe for 20-30 minutes in the morning, 20-30 minutes in the evening, one sits and concentrates exclusively on a single image, a single idea, a single thought. But he says, in this yoga, what is more important than this, this is sub secondary and a subsidiary process. This is only an A, not the real thing. The real thing, it says, is a wide and massive opening and all receiving concentration. And the mother speaks of it as a vase or, you know, like a, like a, they call it Deepak in, Deepak, Deepam in Sanskrit, um, which holds the flame. So you have the flame as well as something below which is receptive. So it's an all-receiving concentration. And Shubhinder says it's a wide and massive opening. It is sufficient to have an aspiration, a call, a need in the heart and a faith somewhere. He says all that the Divine asks to act is a point of support and a need in the heart, a call, an aspiration, a faith is enough to provide that point of support. And once he begins to act, well, he doesn't leave us. We may try to run away, but he who is haunted by the Divine can find no solace till he has finally surrendered himself completely to the Divine. So this is the concentration which may start, Shurinder says, from any point. It may be a concentration of the will to dedicate one's works and life to the Divine. It may be a concentration of the heart on the one alone worth loving. Or it may be a concentration of the mind on any thought, any idea, but soon it must spread like wildfire onto other parts of the being. And it can go as far as awakening even an aspiration in the very physical and sensory system. We often, in yoga, one says, all that is alright, but senses, things of the senses, senses are the snare. But the fire can spread even to the senses, and one wants to see the Divine, hear the Divine, how beautifully Shubhidu writes, in all voices, I hear thy single voice. And he says, in the purring of the aeroplane, in the machines, in the song of the bird, everywhere I hear thy single voice. Even the senses can wake up with that aspiration. Even the physical, it no more seeks the normal earthly comforts that the body needs, little bit of health, little bit of fitness, but it begins to seek the divine and his embrace, which alone can fulfill and satisfy it. So these are some of the ways that the aspiration can spread like fire into all the members. And this all-receiving concentration, this wide massive opening is the right limb of yoga. So once we have the left limb and the right limb and all the necessary baggages, the visa has been attested, then one is sure to arrive. Always one must remember that the pilot of the journey is none else but the Divine Himself. Otherwise, one runs the risk of every time there is a little turbulence, one rushes, opens the door and says, Are you sure you are taking us the right way? So one must know. <laughs> the Divine knows better. There is a very beautiful poem of Shurabindo to R on her birthday. And there he speaks of how he reassures that, how you don't worry. Always our pilot holds the rudder, rudder well, he does not sleep. So even when we are asleep, he is awake, he is the pilot of the journey. And even if sometimes it appears that he has taken the aircraft through very, very difficult zones, says even they who sink in the victorious flood, where do they sink? Into his breast. He who to some gives victory, joy and good, to some gives rest. So this constant sense that this journey is not just a journey of one life. And He, our eternal companion, carries us through life after life. When we leave this mortal body, it's not the end of the journey because sometimes one says, what if I don't realize in one lifetime? 
well one lifetime if one realizes one should rather say i am exceptionally fortunate and lucky of course one should have the will to realize in a single lifetime but at the same time one must know that before it is our journey it is his journey and in each one it is he who journeys and he has let us inside the aircraft and he is carrying us and he knows to carry us from destination to destination even if sometimes the aircraft changes once we know the destination he will tell us look wait for some time and change the aircraft and i'll carry you further so this is the basic essence of discovery of the psychic being to on one side renounce the ego and clamor of the desire on the other side to concentrate shubhra says that there are two focal points of concentration the heart and the head or above the head also but the heart is easier because it's nearer the psychic being and as one presses deeper and deeper slowly the resistance of the inner nature begins to melt away as the mind becomes quieter and quieter as the vital is subdued slowly the psychic emergence takes place and it becomes the leader of the journey what was uncertain changes into a absolute certitude what seemed to be impossible becomes not only a distant possibility but seems to be very near and that is how one inches towards the goal nevertheless there are many other things which happen on the way the inner journey is far too complex to be summarized in this way that okay practice everyday concentration and one will realize the psychic there are many many landmarks through which one passes and they have been described in great length in shurbindo's words and in savitri also we find the description especially there are two places where one needs to be very careful one when one lands in the intermediate zones and in these zones there is such a mixture of experiences visions and voices of all kinds impulses suggestions all kinds of things arise true inspirations mixed with all kinds of artificial intimations and very often one is misguided if one has not learned to have a certain degree of balance balance is very necessary in this yoga otherwise one really risks losing one's mind and the mother says very often people say oh this is a supra rational truth so we can just leave with the reason and say i am driven by god's spontaneity but very often it's a vital spontaneity the spontaneity of the subconscious desires which can give all kinds of suggestions that look here is my soulmate who has come now these one should be very very careful very dangerous suggestions and shivinda has so many letters and people you know ask these things and shivinda says you should be careful 50 times you should think <laughs> if these some suggestions are very obvious you know what can but many of them come from mass desires and we don't even know and the subconscious puts them up look this is what divine wants things are presented to us from the cosmic forces and unless one has the right discrimination and the right discernment first of the buddhi we have talked about it and then of the growing psychic presence once the psychic presence steps in the forward it tells us exactly whether this is true or false but till then one should not lose one's balance one's buddhi and even if that is not there at least one should use reason and common sense shubhendra used to say one of the first things that the disciple surrender is common sense and once they surrender the common sense <laughs> they think that the yoga becomes easy but one ends up into endless complications one hears a voice that divine is telling me jump in the well and one jumps in the well there are instances strange instances somebody one wanted to give talks on the life divine and he sent a telegram to the mother and mother did not respond suddenly he had some vision and he writes back i saw krishna and he told me you can give the talks and now i just want your blessings <laughs> i have the already i have got the intimation and the mother writes back tell him he is not seeing krishna he is seeing a hostile force mimicking as krishna now these are things which are so very true so in a life is not just 
you know, especially when one is reaching a place, a destination of which one has no idea. So, one reaches Chennai airport and one comes out thinking, expecting, ah, I am going to the psychic being. But first thing that one encounters is uh, sometimes, you know, <laughs> scoundrels and, you know, cheats and the heat, the dust and even sometimes, you know, you don't know whether you are paying the right amount of money for the taxi or not and very easily all kinds of suggestions can come into the mind. I remember it really can happen. Of course, it can happen in very beautiful ways. First time when I came to Pondicherry and um, I had no idea about Ashram, Moraville and all this. I had many number of very interesting experiences and once a radio program and somebody told me about Ashram and uh, dining room and Sushila Bay. This was the information I had. So night, I took the night bus from Bangalore to Pondicherry and uh, as soon as myself and my wife, we stepped down, an auto rickshaw came and says, Auroville, we said, yes, we had no idea Auroville and Ashram are two very different places. <laughs> so he, he said, Matri Mandir, we had not even known there is a place called Matri Mandir. We said, wow, of course, yes. So it was early morning around 4, 4.30 and we were dropped <laughs> right there. You can imagine the plight of two people who have never known. Of course, beautiful place and we are just wondering, not a soul inside. What is this place and where is the mandir, you know? We are looking for a mandir. So there is no mandir around. But these are her ways. Suddenly we saw a French person who was coming, running and he came like a guardian angel and told us, we are visiting first time. We are very surprised how intuitive people are here. She said, yes, of course. <laughs> so, and we were wondering, look, people are so developed. They can look and know, you know, you are coming for the first time. <laughs> of course, now we know the trick. So, <laughs> slowly, and then he directed us to the kitchen of the center guest house. Again, beautiful experience. We had breakfast. When we went to pay, we were told, you are staying in the guest house, it will be detected there. So, we were very touched, you know. Nobody ever talked to us like that. We said, what if we don't get, because we don't know, we have not yet booked in any guest house. So it doesn't matter, then you can come and give it. So we are so moved by that experience. And all through, I, we stayed here three days, enjoyed the whole stay. The book that I purchased was The Mind of the Cells. And went back, came up to Nehru Street, La Bhutikdi Auroville, but did not go to the ashram. I didn't know there is an ashram. Went back. Now everybody said, how was the ashram? Very nice, beautiful, so happy. So, I said only one problem, we couldn't meet Sushila Bhai, because we thought there's a dining room and we kept asking Sushila Bhai, nobody seems to know. I said, nobody seems to know her. I said, no, no, no. So then the person probed a little bit and the cat was out of the bag. We discovered that we never went to the ashram because, you know, they asked, how was the samadhi? Now, you see, when you look back, it's very interesting that even in journey, there is a catch to the whole process. It so happens that when we didn't come, at that point of time, my wife had a strong disbelief in avatarhood. And I had a very strong reservations about human gurus. I said, Guru is inside. Why do you need a human guru from outside? It's almost like a rebel, you know. Why should you surrender to somebody outside you? And one of the things that touched me deep about Auroville was that there is no guru. They don't even have a samadhi of Shurabindo. In fact, that is what he spoke of very proudly. That look, what a wonderful place. There is not even a samadhi of Shurabindo. And then you know, well, did you go to ashram? Where did you go? Much later I discovered what I missed. But then, this is how the journey is. At each turn, there is a twist. And each twist has its own place in the totality of things. But it's very important to always remember why we undertook the journey. So not to be satisfied with any halfway home. If Matri Mandir is the goal, Matri Mandir is the goal. And one should not be just satisfied reaching halfway. Then there are three levels on which and Savitri meets his Madonas. One can almost become like a demigod, a Madonna of light, giving light to everyone. Madonna of might, conquering and working for the divine in the world. Madonna, mother of suffering and grief divine. Soothing, healing, providing succor and support. And all these are supported by the light from the soul. Staying at any of these stations, one may well feel that, well, I have arrived. But yet, we must know, like Savitri, 
how to renounce and there comes the word renounce in the deepest sense even the most beautiful experiences even the most almost convincing of things to arrive to the very highest this is the capacity to renounce which is necessary from this yoga in this yoga and if yoga is pers- pursued with any half hearted goals then at the very first point one is given a nice platform to sit give nice lectures one begins to delude oneself that one is arrived and there can be no more fatal danger than that so to always remember the goal to always remember that well not till i have entered the secret sanctum sanctorum am i going to stop this enthusiasm this gratitude this concentration this faith this love and devotion this willingness to pay any price and not even count it it is too small a price for the great journey there is a very interesting story of a sufi mystic well known hazrat nizamuddin he was very handsome and he was a great mystic in his own right and his disciple amir khusro who has written very nice couplets he was a big minister in the court of the king and he had heard of nizamuddin and wanted to meet him so he started on his journey much like us with all the retinue he is a minister going to meet the great master so he is carrying his retinue and you know all the things which he would need for royal comfort but with lot of love and devotion in his heart from the other side an event is taking place a disciple of nizamuddin has to go for his daughter's marriage and nizamuddin says go conduct the marriage so he says but sir you know how do i conduct this marriage so much money is required how do i do it so nizamuddin says see i don't have money to give you but i have this pair of shoes they are my possession stick it and if they can be of any use to you maybe you can use them so the disciple takes the shoes it's real story and sandals and he goes on the way but he is wondering that what will i do with the shoes okay they are nice they are master shoes but how can i get my daughter married you know nobody will buy them they are worn old those were not the days when you could auction gandhi's items for so much and you know those were days when you know people <laughs> would value in another way so all these thoughts are there in his mind and the two cross it so happens that amir khusro meets this man coming from the other side and amir khusro asks him would you tell me the way to nizamuddin yes yes i come from there there he goes oh very good where are you going so he tells his whole story he says see master has given me these sandals and i have to go for my daughter's marriage so amir khusro says can i strike a deal with you this is what deal he says can i buy these sandals from he is little happy he says yes uh, how much you know he doesn't want to ask also amir khusro says all this that i am carrying is my retinue if you take it would you mind giving me these sandals so the man is more than overjoyed he takes it and goes the other way now not only can he get his daughter married probably get many granddaughters married meanwhile amir khusro leaving behind everything carries this pair of sandals on his head he reaches the great masters home and puts these sandals on his feet and says master here are your sandals and the master asks him a question a question how expensive were they and he replies master i bought them very cheap so this is the spirit of yoga that even if one were to lose everything that one cherishes when one starts the journey from the other side of the globe one starts with a vague idea sometimes one is thinking of reaching the matri mandir most of the time one is busy with friends hello i am traveling to pondicherry and you know what is the weather like all this one is not even but is there at the back of the mind like a vague something but as we come closer to closer and closer slowly the friends are left behind only 20 kg can be carried even that is left in the guest house and as we approach the matri mandir even the mobile and the purse has to be kept aside and as one grows closer and closer even the whisper of your thoughts one has to 
be oblivious to that and inside the chamber there is nothing else but that so this is the spirit of the journey and as one grows closer and closer this is how the journey shapes itself and this great inner journey what happens when we enter the chamber or we come close to it there is this passage you can read it and then close for today What is the sign of this psychic emergence? What do we see? What do we feel? It is the very nature of the soul or the psychic being to turn towards the divine truth as the sunflower to the sun. It accepts and clings to all that is divine or progressing towards divinity and draws back from all that is a perversion or a denial of it, from all that is false and undivine. So when we speak of equality, it's not a losing of distinction. It's the distinction between truth and falsehood. One must make it. And I always remember when we climb up to Shurabindo stairs, we have this beautiful three words, cling to truth. When we come back, even more necessary, when one is ignorant, and does stupid things, one can say that, well, one didn't know the mantra. But when one has known a little, and then one does things which are so very contrary, even hostile to the spirit of yoga, it is very, very dangerous. It's one thing to commit a folly in ignorance. It's quite another to do it knowingly and willingly. So here is, at a certain stage in the yoga, when the mind is sufficiently quieted, the requirements is telling us, and no longer supports itself at every step on the sufficiency of its mental certitudes. When the arrogance and pride of the mind has gone, that the mind cannot know. Mother says, it's the first condition, if you want to know the psychic being, first thing is, you must know that the mind is incapable of judging spiritual things. One has not even set one's foot on the path if the mind still believes that it can judge. One is very far. says, when the vital has been steadied and subdued and is no longer constantly insistent on its own rash will, demand and desire. The vital is all the time. If you are the divine, show me this, show me that, give me the proof. It's no more insistent. When Sanadi, there is an anecdote when she wrote to Shirobindo, I have this strong desire to eat this, eat that. And so of course, Shirobindo would reply differently to different people, not to make an um, absolute rule about anything, but to her, Shirobindo writes, Absolutely not. She says, maybe if this desire is granted to me, if I indulge in it, I will get rid of it. Now, it's this attitude that Shirobindo is saying. <laughs> says, absolutely not, says, if necessary, eat your desire. So, when the physical has been sufficiently altered, now look, even the physical can be an obstacle to the emergence of the psyche. One sits for meditation, if the body is full of tamas and inertia and heavy, instead of going within, one goes down, because the body is rested and one sleeps. So here he's saying, if the physical, when the physical has been sufficiently altered not to bury altogether the inner flame under the mass of its outwardness, obscurity or inertia, an inmost being hidden within and felt only in its rare influence is able to come forward and illumine the rest and take up the lead of the sadhana. 
This is the inner priest of the sacrifice. In the ancient Vedic traditions, the priest has to be called. After one is purified, one calls the priest. So this is the priest who will invoke the divine. Its character, what is the character of the psychic? Its character is a one-pointed orientation towards the divine or the highest. When it begins to step, it begins to turn the whole nature towards the divine. That's why one of the ways it described it, it makes the crooked straight. All our nature is crooked. It makes it straight and one-pointed. So it's so important to bring it out and this psychic transformation. It does not create a rigidity of direction. Now this one-pointedness is plastic. It's not like the rigid mind that, well, everybody must do this. Everybody must get up in the morning at 3 o'clock and bow down and say this particular prayer. Not that kind. So it's not that kind of one-pointedness. It is at every moment and with a supple sureness that it points the way to the truth, automatically distinguishes the right step from the false, extricates the divine or Godward movement from the clinging mixture of the undivine. So it is only this that has the light, authentic light, which can show us the way. Its action is like a searchlight, showing up all that has to be changed in the nature. As long as we think that others only need to change, I am fine. We are very far from the true psychic emergence. When the psychic steps out, it shows us how much problems do we also carry Everywhere, within, around, it shows that this light and we have to work upon that. It has in it a flame of will insistent on perfection. It not only shows, it gives the will to change. It does not give up. This is the character of the psychic. All other parts can give up the yoga. But he who has been called by the call of the voice of the soul never gives up. Because it knows one will arrive at the truth. It has that faith and the light. It sees the divine essence everywhere, but rejects the mere mask and the disguising figure. So we often wonder if we are to be in equality, how do we choose? So here is the way to choose. Take the essence and the truth, but be careful not to take the truth along with all kinds of mixture. So it's often like the grain of wheat inside the husk. So husk has to be removed and the grain accepted. So this is how the psychic works. It insists on truth, on will and strength and mastery, on joy and love and beauty. So it's not a dry, drab, there is a warmth in it. <clears throat> there is love in it. But on a truth of abiding knowledge that surpasses the mere practical, momentary truth of the ignorance. Its truth is not just a truth of the mental ignorance, but something which is abiding on an inward joy and not on mere vital pressure. For it prefers rather a purifying suffering and sorrow to degrading satisfactions. This is its power and its action. On love winged upward and not tied to the stake of egoistic craving or with its feet sunk in the mire. So what kind of love psychic has? A love which is uplifting, not love which is sunk in the mire, which is dragging. That's why they say falling in love. It doesn't help to fall in love. It helps uplifting of the very emotion of love when it is touched to its greater heights. On beauty, restored to its priesthood of interpretation of the eternal. What wonderful. Beauty not merely as a mask, but beauty of the being, of the soul, of the thought, of the sensations, of the heart and the feelings which interpret the eternal in terms of earth. On strength and will and mastery as instruments not of the ego but of the spirit. Because one may have this will to master the nature but it can be driven by the ego of the Rakshasa or the Asura. In one place Shurabindu says, some asuras are very religious. They are very, very routine and everything they will do. But why? Behind is the egoistic mastery. Hiranyakashyap, it is said in the tradition, could meditate for thousand years. 
But what he wanted was aggrandizement of the ego. If I conquer my nature, I will have the divine powers and I will eventually become superman. Superman means superpower and super enjoyment. Now this is the divine seas. So it is not strength and mastery with that aim. But strength and mastery as instruments of the spirit so that our nature can become a perfect instrument of his. Its will is for the divinization of life. But the most intimate character of the psychic is its pressure towards the divine through a sacred love, joy and oneness. We read last time of the psychic bhakti. The sign, one of the Prishudan says, all pressure, all growth of love and devotion and bhakti is a sign of the psychic emergence. Another place, all arts for progress comes from the psychic. So all these are signs of the psychic. It is not something inferior. Very often people have this feeling that, oh, this is mere emotionality. It's a sign of the psychic emergence. The psychic touch gives true bhakti for God or the Guru. We read last time. It is the divine love that it seeks most. It is the love of the divine that is its spur, its goal. How beautiful. It seeks the divine love and what is the way? Love of the divine. The mother says divine love in human beings has become love for the divine. That is how it can complete its whole goal. <clears throat> Journey. Its star of truth shining over the luminous cave of the nascent or the still obscure cradle of the newborn Godhead within us. In the first long stage of its growth and immature existence, it has leaned on earthly love, affection, tenderness, goodwill, compassion, benevolence, on all beauty and gentleness and fineness and light and strength and courage. These are very beautiful things. They are necessary for the soul's first emergence. That's why they are emphasized in traditions. But one has to go beyond it. But yet, all development of this sense of compassion, kindness, gentleness, love for fellow creatures, very earthly love, affection, bonds of tender affection, they come from the psychic. Shubhima speaks of this, including loyalty and fidelity. They all come from the psychic. So they are, they are good, but this is the first stage. But it knows how mixed are these human movements at their best and at their worst, how fallen and stamped with the mark of ego and self-deceptive sentimental falsehood. So it knows it in its right measure, what is its role and how it can be deviated. How our bond of affection can easily turn into sentimentality, where we want to take care of those with whom our ego is associated and takes a preferential interest. How we can be blinded by prejudices simply because we want to, we have prejudices inside us. So this it knows. <clears throat> and the lower self profiting by the imitation of a soul movement. At once emerging, it is ready and eager to break all the old ties and imperfect emotional activities and replace them by greater spiritual truth of love and oneness. So here it's not renunciation and detachment for the sake of renunciation. It's not an end in itself, but it's a process, a stage, so that something more beautiful and greater can emerge and take its place. It accepts only the ties that are turned towards the divine. It may still admit the human forms and movements, but on condition that they are turned towards the one alone. It accepts only the ties that are helpful. The heart's reverence for the Guru. It is a tie, but it's helpful. The union of the God-seekers. When the psychic emerges, it feels very uncomfortable when it is in company of uh, a kind of humanity which is living only and by the vital desires. Very naturally it feels uncomfortable and it seeks the company of God's seekers. A spiritual compassion. But what does it feel toward that humanity? Not a sense of superiority. Oh, this humanity. No. Compassion. 
a spiritual compassion for the ignorant human and animal world and its peoples. The joy and happiness and satisfaction of beauty that comes from the perception of the divine everywhere. It plunges the nature inward towards its meeting with the imminent divine in the heart's secret center. And while that call is there, no reproach of egoism, no mere outward summons of altruism or duty or philanthropy or service will deceive or divert it from its secret longing and its obedience to the attraction of the divinity within it. When the psychic being is awakened, it automatically draws the nature inward. When someone asks the mother, if we meditate for so many hours, is it a sign, proof of our spiritual progress? The more we meditate, the mother says uh, something to this effect that it is no proof of the number of hours one meditates is no proof of one's spiritual progress. The proof of one's spiritual progress is this, that is that one is no longer unable to meditate. Because one feels indrawn. This is so beautiful, this drawing inside, drawing inside by kind of secret attraction. And when that is there, it cannot be deceived by appearances. Suddenly there is a summons. Country is at war, everything is flashing on TV. Rush, join the military. This is far more secret, far more beautiful, far more powerful in its action. Oh, my mother is ailing and suffering. Alright. One offers. Because so long as the call is there, one is drawn out and goes inside. Once the psychic being has emerged, this happens. It lifts the being towards a transcendent ecstasy and is ready to shed all the downward pull of the world from its wings in its uprising to reach the one highest. But it calls down also this transcendent love and beatitude to deliver and transform this world of hatred and strife and division and darkness and jarring ignorance, it opens to a universal divine love, a vast compassion, an intense and immense will for the good of all, for the embrace of the world mother, enveloping or gathering to her, her children, the divine passion that has plunged into the night for the redemption of the world from the universal ignorance. This is the action of the psychic being. And this psychic transformation, maybe some other time, is very beautifully described in Savitri, when her soul steps forward. And what happens when it touches the different centers? The thoughts, immortal thoughts, replace Earth's drab idea and sense. Normally our factory of thought is spinning out useless thoughts. So immortal thoughts. Automatically the thoughts become hymned like wings they climb towards the eternal. Then what happens in the lotus of the speech? It becomes a song, a hymn of adoration for the eternal. What happens to the heart? All emotions gave themselves to God. All emotions. They become a secret mirror that reflect the delight of the eternal. What happens to the vital? Shubhendra describes once a loose republic without government. It becomes one-pointed and consecrates itself for a work to do for God. The only thing left for the will is to serve the divine. All urge to serve is a sign of progress in sadhana. And Eventually, even in ambition and in the naval lotus, where lusts, all these things have captured us, they are all removed and there comes only one, one longing. Ambition is replaced by the will to become a servant and slave of the divine. And finally, even the matter, and it develops a large utility on matter and its forces, Right now, material forces are completely governed either by material energies or the vital, at best the mental. But eventually the psychic emergence 
can conquer even them and the material energies can be directed by the psychic presence. So this is the story of the psychic transformation. The next two talks probably the spiritual and the supramental in a very rapid way we will summarize. Thank you.